0: Christine Toretti is the Pennsylvania Republican National Committee woman from Indiana, Pennsylvania. When her father unexpectedly passed away, she assumed the role of CEO of her family's oil and gas company. I sat down recently with Christine to talk about her growing up in the hometown of Jimmy Stewart, to running a company in a male-dominated industry, and really how she got involved in politics. Welcome to Brews and Views. I'm Matt Briette, President of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs, and I'm here in Pittsburgh uh, having a cup of coffee with uh, Christine Toretti, the most powerful uh, political woman in Pennsylvania. Uh, Right, Christine? (laughs)
1: <laughs> According to my publicist and my children. There yeah. you
0: go. There you go. Well, thanks for joining me here on Bruise and Views. It's always good to catch up with you, and uh, I'm glad uh, we can talk about, well, how you got to be one of the most powerful uh, women in politics today, uh, and let's talk about women in politics and all of that, uh, but l- let's start at the beginning. Um, where did you grow up, and how did you get involved in politics?
1: Well, um, I'm a native of Indiana, Pennsylvania, um, an only child, and I think you're born into your religion and your politics, <laughs> and uh, you figure it out from there. But always, uh, very, uh, in, in, spent a lot of time with my parents, mm-hmm. and um, as an only child, they dragged me with, dragged me to a lot of places. Probably you wouldn't have normally gone as a kid. And so I had a lot of interesting experiences. So, were
0: your parents uh, politically involved as well? Were they engaged in, I mean, did no, they ever run uh, for office? No, or no, no, no. They no, just voted no. Republican, yeah, is what They you're voted
1: Republican. Okay. Um, my father was in the natural gas industry, he, um, he was third generation. Um, he really was the member of my family that built our business uh, to a grand scale. And in 1953 or 54, he went down to Texas to buy a drilling rig and not only bought a drilling rig, but came home with a fiance. And ah. uh, that was my mom. And um, they got married the next year. Um, he brought wheel mounted rotary drilling rigs to the Appalachian Basin, which meant that in the old days, when you drilled a well, you cre- you built a location and then you would have to bring the drilling rig in piece by piece and um put it together mm-hmm. and then once you once the well was drilled then you had to dismantle it and move on to the next location with these well mounted rotary drilling rigs this is back in the 50s you would drive onto the location right um raise the derrick drill the well lower the derrick and drive off so it really revolutionized um drilling in the Appalachian Basin and it shortened the the time period tremendously which um was uh an exciting thing and my dad was very aggressive and acquired a lot of acreage um and built in the 80s the largest independent producer of natural gas in the United States east of the Mississippi and the drilling company was more of a a tool that he used at the time in the late 80s um all of our um, exploration was was bank, uh, on we used bank debt mm. to to um, drill all of our wells and when the bottom fell out of the energy industry our loans were called um, and we were able to um, sell all of our production and keep our ba- our base business which was the the drilling business um, and that's how we ended up back just so totally drilling mm. for well so,
0: so you you grow up uh, your dad's in the business are you going to work with him I mean uh, oh god uh, so no you, <laughs> no
1: no girls never went out on okay. a drilling site and and um you know my exposure to actual you know the crews and all of that was they were I come into breakfast and there would be a guy selling drilling bits or one of a tool pusher runs a, a drilling rig and you, there might be a tool pusher sitting there, my mom cooking breakfast for him. <laughs> so that sort of was okay. my exposure. Um, we were very involved in a, in a bank that's headquartered in Indiana called S&T Bank. And my father was the chairman of it later in his life. But um, I always thought that I would go into banking. Mm. So when I went to college, I, that was my focus was um, finance and, and, and the commercial banking side. When I graduated...
0: So, so you grew up in Indiana, went through the Indiana school system. Oh, absolutely. System Public and, school, and, and, yeah, and the whole thing. Where'd you go to college, Christine?
1: University of Virginia. Okay. And the one thing I knew when I graduated was I didn't want to be a banker. So <laughs> okay. I guess I, I learned a very important lesson. I came home and I wanted to work with my father. And I, on the finance side but again you never went out in the field it's mm-hmm. just not the way it was done even in the 80s he died unexpectedly um when i was in the beginning of my 30s and all of a sudden what do what do you do mm-hmm. um and
0: you're working in the company uh, at yeah, this point but uh-huh.
1: not out in the field okay all right um so
0: and not as ceo right no or president? i was cfo okay
1: so i knew the numbers CRI. but i I'd never really been out on a drilling rig. Okay. Um, So when he died, I said to my mother that we had a moral responsibility to our employees, of which we had about 115 at that time, to keep the company going. Because in 1990, um, the oil and gas industry was pretty much dead Hmm. in the Appalachian Basin. And we'd already lost the coal industry in our area of Pennsylvania. So really high unemployment employment, and many of our employees were generational. So their granddads worked with my granddad, their dads worked mm-hmm. with my dad. And so I think
0: a company was started in 1918, if I remember it was reading that. A long, that. So, a long yeah. time ago. Yeah. I'm, so uh, almost uh, would have been 100 years. Yeah. So yeah. 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 Like, yeah.
1: So um, you know, if we had if we had liquidated the company or or sold it, the odds are all of the equipment would have gone out of the area. We, again, we already had such mm-hmm. high unemployment. Um, I, there would have been nowhere for these people to mm-hmm. go. So I said to my mother that we had a moral responsibility to try to continue to create these jobs for, for these people that I had grown up with and mm-hmm. that were a very important part of my life. And my mother was so bereft with grief over losing her husband that she foolishly agreed to let me take <laughs> over. Um, I honestly had no idea what I was doing, but I had some really, really great people that I, I knew and I'd worked with and were very loyal to our family. And we rebuilt the drilling company. And within five years, I bought uh, two of my biggest competitors, all of us independent companies. But, you know, it's funny. Until you face adversity, you really don't know what you're, mm. you, what you're made of. And I had no idea I was competitive. <laughs> Until I found out that people were trying to steal, other companies were trying to steal my customers.
0: They saw it as an opportunity, oh, yeah. right? And uh,
1: I also found out that other people in the industry had bets going as to how long I would stay, that I would, you know, find it too hard or too messy mm-hmm. or too uncomfortable, and that I would well, it's take.
0: A pretty male-dominated industry, right? Oh I yeah. Mean, so uh, were there any other women at this time? No, in, there was no okay. one.
1: No, in fact. A few years into it, I created a retreat for uh, female CEOs, actually from all over the world, because I had no one to talk to. My best friend was a stay-at-home mom, <laughs> and I would try to talk to her about what it was like to make, take care of your mom, take care of your husband, take care of your kids, and take care of your employees. And also, Matt, at that time, you know, it was still really bad, and I would wake up in the middle of the night, drenched in cold perspiration, mm. wondering how I was going to cover payroll. Mm-hmm. And y- you try to express those those concerns and those fears to other people who don't understand what you're going through, and it's really hard. So I started looking for peers. Because Even when I would talk to guys, uh, y- younger guys who are running businesses and family businesses all over Western Pennsylvania... They would say things like, well, you know, Christine, you put on a little weight this year. You're probably not feeling good about yourself. Maybe if you went on a diet. And I'm like, you're going to die. But what I realized is that men and women are really just, we're wired differently. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I just felt overwhelmed. So I met a woman who owned grocery stores in Butler. And I called her and never met her. And I said, you don't know me, but I'm about... To just disappear because I can't handle the pressure anymore. Hmm. I'm my mother's mother, my husband's mother, my children's mother, my employee's mother. She goes, oh, I know exactly what you've been through. I went through it five years ago. Meet me in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We ended up sitting down and talking for five hours.
0: How, and, how far, how long was this? But when you would taken over and you finally, three years. okay. So you're kind of struggling for oh, three I'm, years going, okay, this yeah. isn't working.
1: No. And so as we're having this coffee together, I said, Carol, if you were there and I'm here, how many other women mm. are out there who are going through mm-hmm. this? And so this was sort of the inspiration to start this retreat. I found a venue in California I um, through an organization called Young Presidents Organization that had um, 8,200 members worldwide and 350 of them are women. <laughs> so we've, we have come a long way mm-hmm. since that time. But I, I found the venue, I was well aware of this this place, and I called the gentleman who was running it, whose mom had founded it, and she was really a pioneer in her era. And I called him and I said, I'd like to buy your resort for the first week in August, because I know you don't, um, it's not a good time of year for you, and he um, I said, would you give me a turnkey price?" So he came back, and he said, I will give it to you for $138,900. And I said, I'll take it. And his name was Alex. And he said, who's going to come? And he was in Young President's Organization as well. And I said, well, I'm going to write to the 353 women who are members. And he said, well, what if no one comes? And I said, then I'm going to owe you (laughs) $138,900. And he said, do you have $138,000 to pay me if no one comes? And I said, no. And he said, you really are desperate. And I said, I honestly am. Hmm. And, but having grown up with a mom who had been through something similar, mm-hmm. he understood what, and he was very kind and, and was willing to take a risk. So I wrote to these ladies. The first year, 26 showed up. We just about broke even that year. Um, I ran it for another eight years. Um, it has now become the pinnacle program of YPO. Mm. And mm. Um, But the thing is, is we transformed people's lives because you had women running not only private companies but public companies who their C-suite, all of their executive leaders were men. Their boards of directors were men. They were just waiting to see... You cry mm-hmm. or crack mm-hmm. because you were a woman, so you were under tremendous pressure mm. because there were so few of us. So to finally have peer support was was really paramount. And what was interesting, sorry for interrupting. No, it. no, go ahead. But um, I was also at, during this period went on um, the board of the Pittsburgh Federal Reserve, which was it's a huge thing to be on any of the Federal Reserve board banks, mm-hmm. bank boards. And um, I was very proud of it, and I got a call in August of 1997 from the chairman of the Republican State Party. Now, up until this time, the only thing I had ever done was if someone came through Indiana County and they asked to do a fundraiser, I was the go-to person. It's one of the things I inherited from my dad.
0: You're just a connector. Yeah. You knew who yeah. the people I, were. Yeah,
1: and I've, I've raised money since I was 10 okay. years old. I'm, <laughs> it's a genetic defect. I like to tell people, but it was this state party chairman, and um, at that point, I was going through a divorce, and my kids were just—they were being kids, and we were on vacation, and I—I kn- I didn't even think about how the this guy knew where I was, but they called, and we happened to be in the hotel room, and. He said, we'd like you to become the national committee woman for the Republican Party in Pennsylvania. Our national committee woman passed away unexpectedly. And I said, that's lovely and I really appreciate it, but I'm on the Federal Reserve Board and, and I've got three little kids and I'm trying to rebuild our family business. Thank you, no, hung up the phone. Not that abruptly, but pretty yeah. abruptly. Five minutes later, the phone rings again. And I said, hello. And this voice said... Christine, Governor Tom Ridge here. And I don't know what it is, but I I immediately jumped up off the side of the bed with the phone in my hand and saluted the
0: wall and said,
1: yes, sir, Governor Ridge, what can I do for you? And he said, I don't think you realize what Chairman Novak just asked you to do. And I said, no, Governor Ridge, I don't think you understand my life. So I went on to start telling him about how my kids were misbehaving, that I was getting divorced, you know, all the trials that were going on in my company. And then all of a sudden I said, and how did you know I was in this hotel? This it was getting a little creepy. (laughs) But what I didn't know at the time was, as I'm going through all the girly, let me update you on my life and why I can't do this. He put his hand over the mouthpiece of the telephone and turned to his chief of staff Mark Holman and said, "This woman's crazy." <laughs> what were cuz Mar, Mark came up with yeah. the idea. He said, "What were you thinking?" And and Mark said, "No, just wait." Well, Mark had gone to IUP, I had raised, I'd gotten um, a million dollar gift for um, the business school there and so they they kind of okay. knew who I was uh-huh. and stuff. And he said, well, I really want you to think about it. So the next week, I'm on that retreat with these female CEOs, uh-huh. and I'm hiking with a woman who runs um, an international relief agency. And she said, something's preoccupied. You're preoccupied with something. Mm. What's going on? And I said, I don't want to talk about it. And she said, why not? And I said, I'm just not going to talk about it. So we're hiking along this path. And she bugged me again. And I said, all right, I'm a Republican. And she said, what? And I said, I'm a Republican. She said, I I don't understand what you're saying. And I said, I'm a Republican. And she said, well, so what? So am I. And I said, what do you mean you're a Republican? You run a non-governmental agency in L.A., the (laughs) land of fruit and nuts, and you're a Republican? She goes, well, I grew up in Iowa. (laughs)
0: <laughs>
1: and, but, but it's, it's kind of a joke, but we started talking about why you're involved. Mm-hmm. in. So up well, until
0: that phone call, you weren't, you didn't, weren't a state committee person? No, or no, no, Did you no, even no. know a state committee? I didn't even know way. what state committee yeah.
1: was. <laughs> and did you I, know who
0: your state rep was? Oh, I mean, absolutely. Okay. No, right. I was very, in,
1: I was very involved. Okay. You know, I voted. I, again, I did fundraisers mm-hmm. for people mm-hmm. coming through. Very passionate about limited government. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why I was so reluctant to say that I was a Republican was over the years when I would be with a group of female business leaders and I did a lot of work leadership work with in the business community specifically with women is I would get this response of how would you let a white man in a suit tell you what to do with your body tell you what to do with your life you know you, you, why you, we're supposed to be independent right so my week and the
0: republican party are the oppressors of women right they don't want them in the c-suites they don't right pregnant that the, and barefoot yeah, okay. in the kitchen okay <laughs> that was the uh, that was uh, the, the perception yeah. okay
1: and this was my week to yeah. be with these women who basically saved my life hmm. and kept me going hmm. so i didn't want to get into that whole mm-hmm. debate with people but um Nancy said to me that day, Do you believe in a two party system? And I said, Yes, I do. And she said, Do you believe that women like us should have a voice? And I said, Yes, I do. She said, I think the reason why Governor Ridge, from the conversation that we had had, asked you to do this, because there were a lot of women who really would have done a great job in Pennsylvania but i think why he singled you out was you were a young business person with children mm-hmm. who you know who worked outside of the home and was passionate and and was and still continue to be very passionate about my community and look at the republican national committee at that time there wasn't anyone that looked like me mm-hmm. So Your again, voice was
0: lacking. In it. Yeah, and
1: you get, you know, it's kind of like when we took over the drilling company, it was like you have a moral responsibility hmm. to take the position. So I resigned from the Federal Reserve Board <laughs> and and that was that was that was a difficult yeah. thing. And Governor Ridge said it would be three meetings in beautiful places and not take up it, much of my time. He neglected and he it. Lied, to, yeah, he it? lied through <laughs> his teeth. You know, you've neglected to say 67 counties. No one's going to like you because you didn't come through the grassroots (laughs) process and no one knows who you are.
0: Then half the population won't like you because they're registered Democrats and you're now the standard bearer for the Republican Party. Uh, you know but Christine, I, I was when I was preparing for our conversation, there was a uh, article in the Atlantic, of course, not always uh, the, the best uh, publication uh, where you want to see your name, but they had a nice uh, article and it, ca- it was titled "The Elephant Trainer mm-hmm. uh, and Your Endeavors to uh, Make the Republican Party the party of women." Um, and this is where look we've we've even experienced it here in Pennsylvania in this last election. Uh, in November uh, 2017, that that was the common denominator amongst those that won statewide. Uh, uh, The female candidate won statewide, irrespective of party, which was a bit of an anomaly, you know, contrasting with Virginia and New Jersey, where it was just Democrats, you know, dominating. Exactly. Uh, And which makes Pennsylvania, I think, fairly unique. Um, But I suppose that had to encourage you just to see the embrace of women, Particularly in these roles as judges, which are obviously very important uh, roles uh, in our government. Um, how does that? Uh, I, because you've been working on this a okay. long time. Are we? Uh, so
1: l- yeah. l- let me <laughs> let me let me do a transition okay. for you. So when I talked to you about creating this retreat for mm-hmm. female CEOs, what I learned was that you know peer support is incredibly important. When Governor Ridge called me that day, when I was on vacation, the two things he asked me to do were to support, endorse candidates mm-hmm. and incumbents, and to build uh, women within within the party in Pennsylvania. So within a two-year period, we um, I hired a woman who had been at Chatham College running the Center for Women in Politics, and um, we created a program called the Anstein excellence in public service series now ann anstein had been a former state chairman and then she was uh temp she was very for a very short time the national committee woman and died of recurring um breast cancer and that was the person that i was asked to replace she was brilliant a brilliant political strategist and a lady And I always say that she could tell you to go to hell in a way that you were looking forward to (laughs) taking the trip. I mean, she was just (laughs) magnificent. And I said that if if we were looking for women, we wanted them to be Anne Anstine. So we created this program. We've been training women for now 16 years. Um, We've run almost 200 women in races, and we have an 87% success rate. So. I am all Mm -hmm. about women at the table. Unfortunately, in Pennsylvania, the way our state legislature is set up and the um, vastness of the geography of Pennsylvania, it's difficult to get um, women to run who are working or have families. um, I had a great candidate in Indiana County, but she had two young kids, and she couldn't be gone for...
0: A four-hour drive each way, yeah, right? I thank mean, thank Yeah, right? Yeah. Oh,
1: the joke was, when I met Ridge originally, that I wanted a four-lane into Indiana PA, because we were the only county without four-lane access. 20 years later, we're still so, the right. only county seat without four-lane access, so you would never want to hire me as a lobbyist.
0: <laughs> so so you've started the Ann Anstein program, mm-hmm. you're still uh, very involved in that, and... Bringing women uh, through the program, and you're finding success.
1: Yes, and and the, that article that you refer to um, in eleven and twelve, I moved to Washington and became the finance co-chair for the RNC. At at that point, we were twenty eight million in debt with a hundred and major donors left. Reince Priebus became the um, chairman, and. A gentleman by the name of Ron Weiser out of Michigan and I worked with Reince and Paul Ryan. And on April 20th of 2012, when Mitt Romney became the presumptive nominee, we were able to turn the Republican National Committee party and the coffers over to his presidential with $115 million Mm. in the bank. So I thought after that Mm -hmm. I would come back and we created a federal PAC called Women Lead. And that was why that article mm-hmm. was written. And we would support women who were running for federal office. And our biggest success was in Congressional District 2 in Arizona, which was Gabby Gifford's mm-hmm. seat, the woman that was shot, mm-hmm. um, back in – what year was that? I think it was 11, mm-hmm. perhaps. Um, we ran a woman who used, who was um, an Air Force Academy grad named Martha McSally, and um, we got her over the finish line in a 162-vote margin, mm.
0: <laughs> and she is
1: now running for Senate for the Jeff Flakes okay. seat, and she's just an amazing, amazing woman.
0: Hmm. So the, uh, I guess the, the big question is, um, while you've been trying to help elect women to office, why you have not run for office, uh, why you haven't thrown your hat into the ring, because I think you would be a fantastic uh, politician. I, that should not be taken pejoratively, right? Wow. You, you love good politicians.
1: <laughs> I, I love helping people. Yeah. And I, you know, I, people have come to me over the years and asked me to consider doing that. I, for a long time, didn't want to subject my family to it. And, you know, we all have weird things in our past that people can bring up and use. And, and you know, I, I don't know that I want to be under a microscope and it's mm-hmm. getting even, you know, it's getting uglier every day. But I look at myself as someone that can take the skills that I have and, and put it over a, a large canvas and help a lot of people mm-hmm. and really try to affect change. I'm also about economic development. And I look at what's happened to western Pennsylvania, and I'm very passionate about rebuilding this area. Mm -hmm. So um, while I I like the political side, I also like the private side as well.
0: Well, Kind of back to women and uh, the, the parties, and in particular the Republican Party. Um, why, why do you think that the the party struggles with women? Why is that always seen as well? The Democrats get the women vote, right? And that uh, that's a, a challenge for the Republican. What does the Republican Party need to do to say we are, in fact, the the party uh, for women?
1: You know, that's a that's a tough one. Um... You know, we we are a party, and and definitely in Pennsylvania, you cannot – it's very difficult to run if you are not embracing the pro-life doctrine, Mm -hmm. Um, which is a very positive doctrine, but um, our opponents are able to turn it to make – Pro-life
0: means anti-woman. Right. That They've effectively framed that narrative, right?
1: So then we come off, it's not caring, not compassionate. And I go back into, I'm into limited government, and I don't believe you spend more than you take in. So it just... That's
0: crazy talk, but yeah. (laughs) Well, and I know you get this.
1: I mean, it mystifies me how we pass a spending budget without looking at the revenue. Yeah. And and but I also That's not under- how
0: the, your business operated that you uh, spend without the, the money to pay. No, for I'd that. like to
1: be Santa Claus. It's almost Christmas, but I can't. But but I just I mean, I understand that there are so many people that that are in difficult situations. And, you know, I I'd love to solve all the problems of the world as well. But but we've we've got to be fiscally responsible. Yeah. And, and it just it's it drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. So, and I think through building revenue and, and, you know, you look at in western Pennsylvania, you look at what, what's going to happen here with the shale revolution. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, I was telling you before we got on the air that it looks like this study that's just come out that we've got the potential for twenty five to 30,000 jobs in, in western Pennsylvania. In
0: perpetuity. Yes. Think, yeah, yeah. Not just no, because not, you're building something, not but Not just construction sustained. jobs. Yeah.
1: Sustaining jobs if, if, we, if we do this right. So you get people off the welfare rolls, you get them, uh, you know, in a place where they can mm-hmm. earn a living wage, and they, and they can take care of themselves, they feel better about yep. themselves. Then these resources that we've been using to support them, we can take and do other things with as well. And we've got more a bigger tax base.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, so assess things politically for me. Uh, Tom Wolfe. Uh, You're going to be able to beat him in 2018. Um, But, you know, obviously national things happening. Uh, This last election, I think, gave some hope to Republicans that it wasn't just a uh, straight uh, party ticket that Democrats didn't win uh, across the the Commonwealth. Uh, There is a woman in the Republican uh, race for the nomination. What do you think? How's 2018 looking to you right now?
1: Well, first of all, I think... With our candidates for governor, we have we we are wealth of of riches, whether it's the one female candidate or the other three gentlemen. I think they're all they would all make spectacular um, governors. Um, uh, Wolf is the most liberal governor in America, and he is also one of the most brilliant politicians I've come across. If you look at the ads that he put out in um, January of 14 when he introduced himself to the uh, The people. The Jeep-driving,
0: you know, uh, a millionaire, of course, but looks like the average Joe. Yeah,
1: it was was brilliant. You know, the first rule in in political warfare is you never let your opponent define Define you. You You define yourself, and he did it very well. Hmm. Now, for those people who might be listening to your podcast that aren't from Wilkes-Barre or Pittsburgh— you're not seeing the ads that he has out right now, but he's defining his first term as governor on television right now here in Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. and it's brilliant. He is coming across as the education governor and yeah, the tech governor. Yeah, he restored that the fairy
0: tale billion dollars in cuts to education uh, that Tom Corbett, uh, you know— Cut out of our our budget, right? So well, he still. You want to go yeah. on
1: that? That was. <laughs> I it, do it not. Was, it was money that was temporary yeah. that came from the federal right. government, but
0: but it, it's it worked in fourteen. So he's playing that card uh, once again, yeah. and uh, because people aren't checking the facts, they just accept uh, this this narrative.
1: But he's he's going to be yeah. formidable. Yeah. So I think it's going to be very. It's going to be a tough road for any of our. Four well, what candidates. do we need?
0: What what needs to be done in order to make sure that we need to tell him. the yeah. truth, yeah. and
1: we need to make sure that we can get the message out and, and and make sure that people have all the facts before they make decisions. You know, it's really interesting. Um, this last year, I I love watching um, MSNBC because it oh, gives you're a glutton it, for it gives yeah. me an ulcer. <laughs> but I want it. I want to know. You know, if you if you just listen to your own spin, mm-hmm. you, oh, you don't yeah. really know what what's out there. And I was in that's the. That's why middle- I
0: actually do read the Atlantic, New York Times. I listen to NPR. I mean, I oh, yeah. I want to know what everybody's talking about and understand the arguments from those who I may not dis- may not agree with.
1: Exactly, I think and that's I, important. And I used to think Joe Scarborough was kind of fun yeah. to watch, but yeah. now I think he's unhinged. But. Um, <laughs> The interesting thing is I was in the middle of two stories this year, it, it, not not a headliner within the stories, but I was there. In, yeah. mm-hmm. And when I would turn on the television and listen to what these reporters were saying mm-hmm. that had happened or how they interpreted what was going on, I it just mystified me because yeah. it was so inaccurate to the point where I couldn't watch the television mm. anymore because I was like... You know, I know fake news is a little, you know, that's a strong statement, but I saw firsthand that what is reported is not necessarily what actually transpired.
0: Yeah, I think that uh, that's one of the challenges that we're seeing uh, in a lot of uh, journalism uh, and the the news uh, that a lot of people feel that way, is that, uh, look, you see it from this angle. Uh, I see it very differently and uh, yet we're not getting a balance of of that viewpoint. I well, in fact, this morning I fired off something to a reporter saying you really missed the most important part of this issue. Uh, and look, we should we got to have that kind of ability to engage and to point out errors uh, and I, look, I want to have more civility in our our politics, where people of differing views actually can sit down and have a good conversation. And I've tried to do that with Brews and Views, as right. our listeners know. I I want differing uh, perspectives. I want to have that intellectual, you know, jousting, and let's make our cases, and then the best uh, best one wins.
1: Well, I'm so glad to hear that you say the word word civility mm-hmm. when I. Started at the University of Virginia. Um, My first day there, I met a woman who became my best friend, and um, she ended up running for working for the Berman Waxman machine. Howard Berman was a very liberal um, guy out of LA, and Henry Waxman was a very powerful guy in Congress. And uh, she ended up in L.A. She, and at one point she ran the Democratic National Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee. And we have disagreed many times, but we have never treated each other with disrespect. Mm-hmm. And we have, we have accomplished things together because we are willing to, to work together and have had a lot of fun and stay great friends today. And I look at the polarization of America, and I also look at the intolerance of people. And that's, that's something that really bothers me. People think that it's bad to reach across the aisle. Yeah. I, I think that we need to respect people's opinions and points of views. You don't have to embrace them or, or love them. But the other side is just as American as, yeah. as my side. And, you know, okay, so maybe they're misguided. But they are entitled to have their point of view. And we've got to figure out a way to come together. And my best example of that was was the shutdown, Um, the government shutdown a few years Mm -hmm. ago. It took four women, four female senators, Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski on our side of the aisle. Susan was sitting there and listening to all of this. She went back to her office and she a plan together and she went to Lisa and she said Lisa what do you think And Lisa said this is what we need to do they went to Patty Murray and another and another woman on the other side and they agreed that that's what needed to be done and it took four women hmm. to go back in and say okay guys let's work mm-hmm. this out because at the end of the day we're all on the same team and my my roommate from college I'll say you know, during a campaign, and I, Christine and I will do anything and everything to kill each other because we want to win. <laughs> mm-hmm. But after the campaign's over, you have yeah. to govern and you have to come back together. And that's what I pray America can do yeah. is to come back together.
0: Well, and, and that's an important note. And so often we get wrapped up in what's happening in our little sphere and don't realize that uh, the way things operate in many other countries it's not civil discourse. Uh, I mean, it's civil war. Right. I mean, literally. Uh, and that we have that opportunity to say, you know what? You and I, I think we want the same, you know, the same goal. Uh, how we get there, we're going to disagree on. But let's find out where we can, might be able to come together. Compromise, not on principle, but maybe on our policy agenda so that we move forward. So that we don't end up like these other countries that, uh, well politics uh, is truly a blood sport rather than uh, that which is fought with the ballot bo- at the ballot box
1: exactly and, I, and I'm really appreciative to have a moment to be with you today and to thank you and just to remind people how fortunate we are to be Americans mm-hmm. and how lucky that we have moved women forward because I think having them at the table makes a tremendous difference and and your support, of my gender does not go unnoticed, <laughs> and I'm very appreciative of well, that, Matt.
0: I appreciate your joining me here on Brews and Views. It's uh, been fun to sit down with you, Christine. Best uh, wishes to you uh, in all your future endeavors.
1: You've been listening to Brews and Views, a production of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. Find us on Facebook at Commonwealth Partners. And follow Matt Briette at M-A-T-T-B-R-O-U-I-L-L-E-T-T-E.